Amen. You may be seated. Turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Something greater has come. Something greater is going to come. That's Jesus. And when Jesus returns, there will be no more death, but only life eternal for those who believe and trust in Him. That's why we're here this morning. And we pray and certainly hope that everyone in this building knows, knows Jesus. And so, um, our lives are being built upon that truth. It's the center of everything that we do. Uh, that we do here and that we do in our own homes and what we live for. Before I get into the text today at uh, Exodus chapter 17, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses. Um, we've had some monumental work needed to be done here at the church. Uh, it has to do with wiring and the lighting and whatnot. And uh, I just think it's appropriate because I want to say publicly how much Alex and I and the elders and certainly the church appreciate it, but you may not know this. But Mike Thomas and Ken Hotchkiss and Jerry Chin have coordinated an effort that um, if we were to have to do outside of ourselves would cost us thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and I don't want that to go unnoticed. I think it would be appropriate for you folks to love on those. Uh, they had no idea I was going to do this. Um, I certainly try to tell them how much I love and appreciate them. And just in general, let me just say this. You, uh, you folks, to, to Alex and I in particular as full-time pastors, uh, we love you dearly. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, you know, to listen week in, week out. I'm thankful as uh, I've now completed near 28 years, you've not wanted to kick me out. <laughs> and uh, if you are bored, you certainly don't act that way. Um, but we, we want to say we appreciate you. We're coming out of Pastor Appreciation Month. And just, we, we, we appreciate all the, the love that you give us, uh, we certainly don't want to take it for granted. And um, when you look at the end of the epistles, Paul is always mindful to note people in appreciation and, and that being reciprocated. So I just kind of wanted to say that um, before we join in to the text together today, this uh, small pericope in Exodus. Um, having trouble with my glasses. I think, it's, I think it's not the glasses anymore, it's the eyes. <laughs> Time for another exam, but um, here we go. Let's, let's look at this. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. 
Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? For they are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the rock shall come out of it, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we give you thanks for you sustaining this church for over 80 years. We think, Lord, often about the future of, of Christ's community church and how it is we're to occupy until you come. And yet it's good for us to pause and to reflect upon uh, your wonder and goodness because truly, Jesus alone, you have sustained this body of believers. And, and I pray, dear God, that you will keep us faithful. You will keep us faithful to your word. You will keep us faithful to, to Christ. You will keep us faithful to the gospel and that you'll continue to build your people here in adding new converts. And also, Lord, um, that you will strengthen us as a church family by and through your word and through Christ and, and the gospel. We know, Lord, there is much ahead to be done. And yet we do want to give you thanks, not only for the 80 years, but even over the past five years in such turmoil um, in our own society, Lord, you've not only sustained us, but you've added to us in so many different ways. And uh, we want to be mindful to give you thanks for that and appreciate that as, as we head into the Thanksgiving season. And, and yet, Lord, we know that but being thankful and having a heart and life of gratitude exhibits those who belong to Jesus. We, we certainly want to reflect that. And we pray and ask for all of these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As a kid, through uh, the end of my elementary years, fifth and sixth grade, and then through junior high, uh, seventh through ninth, so that period 
where you would gather up together with kids on the block. We would play uh, football and baseball outside. And, uh, you know, you'd be gone all day. Uh, there was no Gatorade. There was no Juicy Cups. It was either we found a good hose to drink out of, or we went to the high school or the junior high, and, um, and, and we would stay. And we would stay, you know, until till dark. And you'd come home, you know, particularly if you went to the high school or over to Beecher, you would come home parched. Um, you met with guys on your own block, and then also through uh, what was called in the day, the league was peewees and midgets. Uh, you would gather with those guys, uh, you know, as you made relationships with those people in the little town that I grew up in, Hazel Park. I remember one day, though, I came home, and, and, and was, this was typically true for me. I mean, I was filthy, head to toe, and uh, was, was thirsty as all get out. And as I head into the house at 23312 Cayuga, my mom immediately pointed me to the basement and said, you got to get off all those clothes. And of course, I was uh, extremely thirsty. In the basement there was the laundry room, and my mom had a big car jar about that big that was filled with what I thought was water. Needless to say, I grabbed that thing, took a big guzzle, went to go into the second one, and it was not water, it was bleach. So I hollered, my mom was not down the steps, she came running down the steps, and as she did, she says, what have you done? I said, this this water's nasty. She says, it's not water, Kevin, it's bleach. She goes and grabs a jug of water, and she's, or a, a jug of milk, and is pouring milk like down me till I vomited. And I didn't know what in the world was going on. I, I never even heard it was, you know, bleach till she halfway got all that milk down on me. But I could tell by the panic of her face, she thought I was going to die. And so when she got scared, I got scared. <laughs> and I started guzzling that milk as hard as I could because she let me know you could die. Um, I read an article this week on Medical News Today that says a person can live three, maybe four days without water. And um, the Guinness World Book of Records says that an Austrian man was left in the cell with no food or water, and he's the longest recorded individual that lasted 18 days without water, and he died. I mean, obviously, we don't want to go without water. Um, I daily try to put down quite a bit of water every day because I've noticed this particularly as I get older. When my body aches, the more water I drink, it, it helps it to feel better. This is the setting that we find ourselves in, in Exodus chapter 17, as Israel begins to wander in the wilderness and are in a place where there's no water. Um, before I uh, kind of give you the outline, I kind of want to just note a couple things about the text. There, there are things that I've underlined to help pull out what this pericope is about, which is obviously uh, 
um, you know, these people are thirsty. And in their case, unlike spending uh, a full day outside, uh, coming home from a ballpark, they're in the desert. And uh, so their thirst means they could die if they don't have water. But I just want to notice a couple of these things. I've underlined in verse 1, according to the commandment of the Lord. In verse 2, the people quarreled with Moses. Um, Also in verse 2, why do you test the Lord? Verse 6, behold, I will stand before you. And then in verse 7, Massa and Meribah. And so the outline for the text that we're going to look at uh, that, that the people of Israel do is that they complain, they question, and they doubt. And all of these things um, are in direct relationship certainly to Moses, but they're really um, connected to God himself. And so let's, let's walk through this together, noting the, their, their circumstance and, and, and thinking about everything that we've preached about so far um, in the book of Exodus and kind of where we're at. I thought Alex did a, a wonderful job last week, not only in the message, but in catching us up to the point of where we are. And as you recall, now we're in the wilderness wanderings. And uh, in the wilderness wanderings, um, I've heard it said before, we know that the the children of Israel, God's people, were there for 40 years. Had they taken a direct route, it would have taken two weeks to get out. God had a different path. I think there's an element of that that, you know, we can relate to individually as you look back over your life and, you know, saw the path. I, um, when I was in college, uh, there was a, a real drive for, was always seemed set before me in my later teen years about knowing, knowing and understanding the will of God, which was a, a big question mark in my head. Um, I wanted to know what the good works were that God required of me and just what was his will, you know, um, for my life. Because in, in particular for a Christian, good works when we stand before God in the judgment, that's what we're going to give an account for. So those things for me were, were like, were big question marks. And, um, and he took them on a path. And, and I look back over my life and the path did not go like from point A to point B. It had a bunch of twists and turns uh, for me. And, I, and I'm sure if you were to sit as you're sitting there even and think back, and it doesn't matter if you're in your 30s or 20s because that, that was going on with me because God began to move in me at, at like age 12 or 13. And I'm not talking about to be a pastor. I'm talking about to be a Christian as I tried to twist away from what ultimately, of course, I understood, the Holy Spirit regenerated my heart. Um, and so as we look at this text and we think about what was transpiring here, the first thing that we note is that they complain. Verse 2 says that the people quarreled with Moses and said, 
give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? They complained. They quarreled with Moses. Now, you stay right there in the text, and it's clear that Israel is following Moses, but the direction that they went, look at the verse 1, is according to the commandment of the Lord. God had specifically directed them this way. And I think part of that answer is what we're going to see this morning, and certainly all of the rest of the wilderness wanderings that... what it revealed about who God is and what God did, and also about themselves. So when we get to this point here, um, Moses had taken them this direction specifically because the Lord commanded him to do so. He commanded them to go to a waterless site. There's no water. And again, to remember all the things that we've, that we've been uh, preaching on and in consideration of the wilderness, the children of Israel know that the presence of God is with them because by day there's a cloud and by night there's a pillar of fire. So there's a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day which signified that God was with them, and they are following the direction that God gave Moses to where they are, and yet here we go. They're complaining. Um, And in this text, this is is no small complaint. Um, Look at verse 4. In verse 4, it says, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. They're about to kill him. I mean, Moses senses that. They're going to kill me, Lord. So, it's not about a little bit of whimpering and whining. This this complaint was no small complaint. They're ready to openly kill Moses. They're going to stone him. And yet, we know that this complaint is directed to God. Again, uh, recalling Pastor Alex's message last week because I thought he very skillfully handled uh, the the concept of complaining. And yet, uh, church, you you know we believe in Bible exposition. So if, so if a text is covering complaining or whatever a text is, is, is trying to tell us. That's what the, the, the pastor, the teacher first wrestles with. What is God saying? Why is he saying it? And here we are again, there's an elaboration that's going on, right? On the idea of complaining. Because this complaint, think about this, is a case against the Lord. So, this is early in the wilderness wanderings, and the people who have walked through, right, and have been spared from a disastrously cruel situation, 
um, from the nation Egypt the, the, and, and unable to worship Yahweh and, and God takes them through. As, as a matter of fact, I think it's pretty significant even that uh, it says in verse 5, look at the end of that text, it says, the Lord tells Moses, it's taking your hand the staff in which you struck the Nile. And he didn't just say, take your staff. Again, it's a call to remembrance. The people of God had saw Moses, who was the mediator here of this circumstance between God and men, the humanity, they knew what happened with that rod before when God acted through the mediation of, of Moses. And yet they are building a case that they want to stone Moses, but really what it's centered on, and which is honestly, if you really look at the root of anyone's complaining, and especially even your own, it's really a frustration that's directed to God. The Lord had saved them. The Lord had destroyed all of their enemies. And now it's clear that the people knew it, right? By, by the cloud and the pillar of fire, the Lord through Moses is directing them and He has led them to this waterless site. They don't come to to Moses, you know, to ask of the Lord and to beseech the Lord with a right heart attitude. No, they're complaining and they want to kill Moses. And, and Moses specifically tells them that you're, you're testing the Lord. You're coming to me, but this complaint is directed to the Lord himself. And, and so instead of trusting the Lord, they test him and they demand the Lord and so one of the first things about complaining I would say we want to note about this is that God expects you and I to patiently trust Him and to patiently wait on Him no matter your circumstance in life, no matter your condition in life. This is what God expects. And before I move forward with this, let, let me leave you a little test for yourself. I want, you to, I want you to think about your language from now until the next week we come to, uh, to gather here again next Sunday morning. I want you to walk consciously of how much you complain. And I don't care if you see it as minimal or if you see it as something that's a lot. I want you to, I want you to think about this. Every day, in your phone conversations, the way you text people, if it's email, in one-on-one -on -one conversations, in your house, I don't care. I want you to take that as a challenge to think about how we talk. And is our speech focused on whining and complaining? Because really if that's the norm of how you communicate with people, you're complaining toward God. You're letting God know I'm frustrated with my circumstance. So I think that's a good challenge. I think it's, 
I think it's thought-provoking, and I think we want to do it. I want you to think about your work environment. And everybody has a reputation in, in, their, in their work environment, particularly by who's around them. And does, at your work, or in your home, whatever there's a smaller community, do they think of you as a complainer? Do they think of you as always blaming and whining about their circumstance? And then when you think about that through this week, and you begin to complain, and the Spirit of God grips your heart, confess it and make it right with God, and say, God, please help me to clean up the way I complain. Now, this complaining leads to questioning. In verse 3. But let's watch this, right? Sin always begins on the inside. So they're inwardly complaining. And then, of course, they outwardly manifest the question. And the question comes to us in verse in verse um, 3. But the people thirsted there for water. Now, who do you think knew that more than anyone? Yeah. He set them there. Remember, this was the commandment of the Lord. That's the first thing that stuck out to me about the passage, to make note of it. Because we're trying to dive in, right, with our minds to to understand the circumstance, and, and we don't want to lessen what's going on. I mean, if they don't get water, they're going to die. People can't live long without water. But the people thirsted there for water. Verse 3. And the people grumbled. Complainers grumble. They grumble, first of all, against Moses, who is the mediator of the Old Covenant. And said, they look at him, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Why did we leave Egypt? Are you kidding me? They've been in bondage there for over 400 years. Severe brutality against the people. That shows two things. It shows the desperation of the situation. So it's real, right? It's not, you know, what, what, they're, what they're going through is real, and yet they don't, they don't think about the Lord They just think about their own circumstance. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and to kill our children and to take our livestock with thirst? They question. The people are thirsty. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Does God, Moses, do you just want to watch us die? Hold your spot there and... Exodus chapter 17. I think I'm going to do this. Let's go to Philippians 2. I think this is worthwhile. Because obviously, uh, again, with Pastor Alex's sermon, and you know, uh, you know we talk uh, daily, literally daily, about uh, you know, the, whatever it is we're preaching through, and then to start listening to people who I'm around and hear them bicker and complain about everything. 
Look at this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, the children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, let's draw this. How do you shine like a light in the world? Here, the Apostle Paul directly relates it to grumbling and questioning and complaining. Wow. You think, don't, that God doesn't care about how we act? Well, one of the questions that, that, that Alex and I wrestled with and began to think about, and I thought about in this text, because in this text here, there's Yodi and Syntyche, who are both Christians. It says, Paul tells them to be of the same mind in the Lord. They're whining against each other, and they had pitted two groups. So they were dividing what was otherwise a very healthy, strong church at the church at Philippi. It opens up in its introduction as, as opening to the group of elders and deacons, right? So it's well-developed, grumbling, questioning, and complaining. When's the last time someone who you know as a regular complainer begins to complain to you, you just said, hey, you need to knock it off. Here, Paul says this. That kind of identification sounds like you're a part of a crooked and twisted people. Now, again, as part of our discussion with Pastor Alex, we're the children of Israel. Are we talking about believers or we're talking about unbelievers, right? And I don't think it matters right now. Because what it says is this. When I live my life as a complainer and a whiner and a grumbler, my complaint is directed to God. Because God is sovereign and in control of my circumstance. And He is the one who has me here this November morning on a cold day. For the people of Israel, it was in a wilderness without water. I think we need to embrace this a little more seriously, perhaps, than we have. Are you a complainer? Are you a whiner? It's nothing worse than when you, I see it, honestly, with a man. It's the worst. The people question here, they're thirsty. And that questioning, instead of reflecting upon uh, the Lord, they accuse God that God wants to harm them. You got it tough at work? You're in a difficult spot? Wherever it is? A thing that will frustrate you to, 
to be a, a whiner and a complainer. Think about how worthy Christ is of all of your trust. Hmm. God saved me. And we regularly say this, and I know you regularly believe this. I don't deserve to be a Christian. I deserve hell. That's the truth. I'm not trying to sound pious. It's the truth. And yet He loves me, He saves me, and He cares about me in my circumstance to want to develop me in such a way that my lips speak fruitful things. Their complaining led to their questioning. And this is probably the worst part of all of this. Jump down to verse 17. Or I'm sorry, verse 7. Chapter 17. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Their complaining and their questioning led to them doubting. I mean, God promised to be with them. I mean, they could see it. Right? They could see the cloud. They could see the pillar of fire. They could see Moses who mediated with God for them regularly. They could see all these things. And in all of these things, the word Massa means testing. The word Meribah means quarreling. They just kept whining. Is the Lord among us? Wow. And I think one of the first things that we want to draw this, just in practical application for those who are, who are believers, man, never doubt God's goodness. Never doubt His goodness. Temper your heart when it, it has inclinations to complain and to murmur. I'm not saying it never doesn't happen to me. I want to temper my heart so it doesn't come to my mouth and I let it go. Never doubt God's goodness. Temper your heart with this. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Now here's what that does for your circumstance because God is... Jesus is... Christ is... Sovereign over all my circumstance. Man, I fully believe with all my heart when I die, I'm going to be with God because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And if, if that's my belief, and it is, with all my life, with all my being, I believe that. Man, cannot God handle my circumstance? Yeah. Yeah. 
probably for us as a family, one of the, one of the sweetest things that Val and I experienced was the delay of children. And, and we, would, we would rest on Romans chapter 8. We tried for 11 years. And I can honestly say as we experienced that, that we never went toward we doubted God's goodness. And, and not to say that we weren't sinners, we certainly are, but what we thought about the, the Lord as the opener and the closer of the womb. And we believe that. We trusted in that. The people complain, the people question, the people doubt. And please, when doubting God, when questioning God, and I get there's psalms that ask question of God, but let's just be honest, most of our questioning is derived in our own wickedness. (laughs) Don't doubt that God is good. Temper your heart with remembering who Jesus is. And what Jesus has did for you. Here, in verse 4 through 6, there's a summary given. Moses prays. God tells Moses to strike the rock. And from it, water gushes out. Look at verse 6. Again, as I, as I give this to you. Look at, there's the Lord in the middle of all of it. In the middle of the storm. In the middle of where they're perhaps going to die, behold, I will stand before you. One of the most beautiful promises in Scripture when, and they had reason to be fearful. You know, the disciples were dull, right? But they begin to hear, man, he's, dude, John, he's leaving. I don't know where he's going, but he's leaving. But he tells them in a promise, he says, I'm never going to leave you. And I'm never going to forsake you. Never. You always have Christ, Christian. You always have His presence. You always have His love. You always have His care. And you may die for the cause of Christ. But you'll never be apart from Him. For the child of God, the last breath in this moment, you are ushered in a nanosecond into the presence of God. Because of the power of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Christ is always near and you are never alone. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We believe that the Bible works in unity with one another. The Testaments do. They are the, of course, Old Testament promise, the New Testament fulfilled. And all of those things are namely filled in the person of of Jesus Christ. And as we look and as we wrestle with and we try to understand the Christ-centered nature of the Scripture of the Old Testament, well, some things come up in the business as a softball. And we have a softball this morning. Some of you are sitting there saying, what's a softball? I can see you squinting. Softball is, man, just tee that sucker up. I'm going to knock it out of the park. <laughs> it's easy. Because the easy reflection is that Paul uses this experience to the church at Corinth. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read for you verses 1 through 4. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in, in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, that's not the part I'm going to dwell on, but let me just say that. Like, what is he talking about? Baptism is a reflection that you identify with the message. Here's why you need to be baptized for those of you that have confessed Christ. Because what you're saying to the world at large and to the people, because baptism connects you to a local church, is that I identify that I'm lost and undone and that I need Jesus and that God has saved me and I identify with this group of people because that's what's happened to them. Okay, that's all that's being said there. You don't have to freak out over all of that. But I want you to watch this. And ate all the spiritual food. See, the manna and the water were reflective of something greater. Something greater. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. Verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Fires me up, man. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Who's he talking about? You whining, complaining people. Stop it. It doesn't reflect the grace that's been bestowed upon you in Jesus. Do you understand if you're a whiner and complainer and you zip that up, you're going to become a brighter light because whiners and complainers reflect the world that we live in. Not those that have been saved by the blood of Jesus. If anyone had the right to complain, it would have been the Son. He suffered unjustly because he did not sin. You see, friends, Christ is the rock. The rock is Jesus. The rock foreshadowed Jesus. Moses struck the rock and instead of striking the people who deserved it. But he only struck it once. And when he struck it, the water flowed. Jesus is the water that you thirst for. Jesus was struck only one time, and only one time was necessary. Jesus that was, is the rock that was struck. A difficult strike. So that I would be saved. God struck His Son instead of striking me. 
His only Son. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 through 6. Yet He Himself bore our sicknesses, and He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded Him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced because of our transgressions. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. Church, Jesus was wounded, pierced, crushed for every sin you would ever commit. Trust in Christ, who lived the life that you cannot live. Trust in Jesus alone. The rock that was struck down for our salvation. And when you believe for your salvation will flow from you life giving, refreshing water. And you'll never be thirsty again. Drink the water and live. Let's pray. Father, now I pray as we move to this most beautiful table, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist where we give thanks, as another tangible demonstration, we will drink of the wine and eat the bread, which reflects both your blood and the sacrifice of your life. Lord, nurture in our hearts at Christ Community Church. Not to be complainers. Not to be whiners. Not to be gossips. But always, as those unctions would come within us, may your Spirit beckon us immediately to who Jesus is and what Jesus did on our behalf. Bless and strengthen your people through this sacrament. And for those that do not know Jesus, for those who have recognized they need to be struck down because they're sinners, Lord, do not let them partake of the table, but may they confess Jesus, drink of the water that he offers, and live. We pray for all of these things in the name of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements.